Welcome to Gin and Topic. Woo! We are here for another series. Yep, another one. Just keeps happening. Just keeps going. It does. And so we got loads of gins. Oh yeah, tons of gin. Tons of gin. Tons of experts. Yeah. Tons of topics. Well, and that's the thing, you see. Give us a gin. Talk to anyone. We will. Mm. We will talk to anyone about anything. So yeah, we're going to talk to a ton of people about loads of stuff over gin. And I'm going to make rude comments while we do it to stay on brand. (laughs) And you never know, we might actually learn some stuff. We might even remember stuff. (laughs) Oh, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Okay, right. This episode, we're talking to Michael Marshall. Yes. He is a science writer. He's based in Devon. And he's the author of a book called The Genesis Quest, which I think sounds like a teen boy book of like, mm, I don't know, of mythology type choose your own path story. Oh yeah, it could be a little bit. Genesis Quest. It could easily be an Alex Ryder book. It could. It could. Or a... Um, what was the one your brother used to like? Percy, Percy Jackson. Jackson. Mm. Could be one of those. Mm. Yeah. Sounds well, like think... something they talk about in Divergent as well. Basically, oh, it's yeah. a YA novel sounding book, but it's not a YA book. No, it's Because I would have read it if it was. So Michael Marshall, he is a freelance science journalist. He's written loads of stuff. Um, New Scientist, BBC, Observer, etc. Oh, et he's all successful. But this is his first book. Oh, well done to him. Yeah. And it is about how life began on Earth. Oh, jeez, that's nice and light, isn't it? Well, and that is our topic for the oh, week. Gosh. Life oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Unless you're on, you're at the moment feeling really tired. Yeah. And therefore, I don't life feel like paused. life is... You know what? I'm now old and decrepit and unable <laughs> to handle this. So let's take you back to life begins. Oh, God. I never asked my life to begin, Sarah. It was forced upon me. Oh, what a shame. But anyway, we're not talking about your life because we are talking and the question is, how did the first life arise on Earth? And what does that tell us about the life elsewhere in the universe? What gin are we drinking? (laughs) Yeah. So, um... The gin we are drinking is from a friend of Michael's. Oh, nice. Um, a person called Laura Wall. And oh. Laura Wall has had some seaside gins um, created for her uh, by Exeter Gin uh, Distillery yeah, nice. in Devon. And they're inspired by the glorious Devon seaside. And it's a exclusive premium small batch of gins, and we've got her little gift set. I was going to say, I was like, we've three. got three gins here. We have three gins, yes, because um, we couldn't decide which one we were going to. I'd drink. say I drink them all, but I only want to drink two, and I have a feeling you're going to tell me I'm meant to be drinking the third one. <laughs> oh, okay, fuck. so we have got three, as Anya's just said. We have got a seaweed infused gin. Then the Fisherman's Drinks winning. version of that, which is the one that I want I because it's 57% and today feels like a 57% kind of day. Okay, so we've got the Fisherman's Strength yeah. and then we've got the one that Anya really does want to drink, mm. which is strawberry and vanilla. Mm. And we know how Anya feels about flavoured gins. <laughs> Especially strawberry and vanilla because I'm sorry, that just sounds like it's meant to be an ice cream. Well, exactly, which is yeah. why I think it is strawberry and vanilla. Well, yeah. And, of course, the one that Michael's drinking is strawberry and vanilla. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that we just have to drink that. We will try that with him, but we will also drink the others and we'll be, it'll be a very boozy episode. The bottles are kind of cute and little and sweet. They're really cute. And so they've got the um, pieces of art on them, which are pictures of different scenes um, by the seaside in Tynemouth. And Laura has her own shop. Oh, everyone Which, go visit Laura. Go visit Laura's shop. You can buy them online. Buy them online. Do a little plug for Support Laura. Support local. It's all Laura's artwork, but she also does lots of prints and stuff. Nice. So you go. That's nice, Laura. Yeah. We're cool. drinking gin that she's had created. And um, there we go. We're going to talk about Life Begins. <laughs> and do you want to start with one? Yeah. What are we going to put in our glass? Navy strength. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, how about you make a navy strength, 
I'll make a seaweed. And then we can both try. And then we can try the strawberry one straight from the bottle, which I think is a real seaside feel. That is, yeah. Just drinking alcohol from the bottle. Could I have some tonic, please? You can indeed. What? Oh, the bottles are a lovely double measure. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, right, what would you like? Would you like Mediterranean or yes. would you like light? You're Mediterranean. going Mediterranean. I am going light. Oh, look at that. Synchronised gin making. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ooh. Oh, I like seaweed. I prefer navy strength. I prefer navy strength. But yeah, it's quite good. Seaweed, I can't really taste like exactly I, what it... I mean, I can taste it. I can't describe the taste of it, but it's good. It's nice. I I describe the taste as... Um, you know those seaweed crackers that you get? When you open the packet... I've never eaten those. The smell... Well, your sister likes them. Yeah, well, that's a really bougie thing. Like, Or how when you're you making know, like, sushi oh, and you open the seaweed Sarah. to make sushi... <laughs> Anyway, it's it tastes like it doesn't taste smell. like I'm at the beach smelling all the seaweedy smell, which is quite a good thing because yeah, normally that smells quite grim. But it's good. It's nice. Mm. I'm enjoying that. That mm. is lovely. Cool. Right, we're all set. Oh, apart from gin. Have you got a gin? <laughs> Gin. Oh, lovely. <laughs> it's a nice, that's a big, that's a bottle, big bottle of gin. <laughs> we got the little bottles of gin. This is my wife's, which she's um, very Stolen kindly stash. To steal a little bit from, yeah. <laughs> which, I mean, she does have like four different bottles of, like, possibly even six bottles of gin kicking around. So, you know, I feel like she can spare like one shot. I'd hate to tell you how many bottles of gin we have in the house. <laughs> I think everyone should have a few bottles we kicking around. We have quite a few <laughs> kicking around. Yeah. So, pour away. You are going with the strawberry gin, mm. which we, um, when we were talking about what gins to um try um if i remember rightly so these were recommended by your wife and laura is a friend of yours that's right yeah so laura's a laura's a family friend she's a she's a local artist and um we've known god we've known her for like a little over five years when she when she had just opened her gallery for the first time and since then she's kind of expanded hugely so as well as the the paintings that were sort of the foundation of everything she now has this whole kind of lifestyle brand around it so you can get like notebooks and tea towels and and you got some candles oh i did get some candles you got some yes. candles because i had to add some things to my basket you know yeah, yeah. as yeah. you do when you're there do a little bit of shopping <laughs> <laughs> no and and so yeah the gin is the gin is made by i know it's by a local company and laura kind of consults on the flavor so there's there's a couple of different ones so this is the strawberry and vanilla that i've got and laura recommends just having it with straight tonic there is a seaweed gin as well which yeah which we do have a bottle of um and i was like do you know what i'm not entirely <laughs> that I want to see try we're the shit. opposite there because sarah got the little pack of three with the three flavors and she said, you know, you've got these three. And I went, there's only one of those that I really don't want. She started laughing. I went, oh, no, <laughs> because I'm never a flavoured gin. So I'm I'm willing to try the flavoured gin. But I will admit I've poured one of the seaweed ones into my glass in perhaps a slight amount of fear of the strawberry and vanilla. <laughs> so we decided that it was a great excuse to try three. So um, I have got the seaweed gin. And then Anya's got the navy strength seaweed gin. <laughs> and I'm now jealous because I much prefer it. It's really it's nice. delicious. And then we've both got the strawberry bottles and we're just going to swig it as if we're on a beach. Fair and, enough. And, yes. you know, Class. you just buy a little bottle and now? have a swig. Should we have a swig? Cheers. So cheers. Cheers. Oh, oh. Oh, that's rather refreshing. Oh, oh, oh that could go down dangerously easily, actually. <laughs> You get a very strong vanilla aftertaste, yeah, don't you? Yeah, that is just... Mm. I could use that in baking. Yeah, easily. Couldn't you? It's really, really vanilla Yeah. Loads of strawberry punch. Yeah. It is punchy. It's not like a, a boring flavour tonic where you go, yeah, there's a bit of flavour to it. It's punchy. Yeah, so now you have made it into a long one with um, just tonic. Some, just some tonic. 
Is it good? It is actually, yeah. It, it's, um, but it would go, it would go down. Uh, well, it, is, it is in fact going to go down. Uh, that 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 is what's going to happen in the near future. Um, but it's, yeah, it's very, it's very drinkable. So I reckon as a a nice long long drink mm. with strawberries, maybe yeah. a stick of vanilla pod, nice pod sticking oh, out the top, looking really you, bougie. Right. Come on, or even a sprig of mint, just to. Be interesting. Well, I that's the kind of vibe Mm. I get. It's a nice sunny. It's a very. It's definitely a summer day. Yeah. Whereas this navy strength one, I have to say, is every day warming by the (laughs) fire or sitting outside on the grass. It's every single day. That one is when I like the seaside in winter when there is no one on the beach. Oh lordy lordy, yeah. Um. Right. We've got our gin. Yep. Go on. Let's expose quite how little knowledge we have about Yay. life beginning. <laughs> um, Michael, you can just sit back and okay. put your feet up, put a hanky on your head, um, <laughs> pretend you're in a deck chair. Okay. And enjoy ignorance spotting. Oh, good. Okay, excellent. <laughs> okay, so life begins. Yes. Um, remind myself of our question, how... Did the first life arise on Earth? Uh, it's like university challenge, you know, you're going to get some I'm not, points. I've, I've never got points in university <laughs> challenge. My immediate response was panic, then fear, then <laughs> atoms. Do you, you want my actual answer? Yeah, go on there's on. an episode of Doctor Who about this. <laughs> and there's a giant spaceship in the middle full of tiny spider alien babies okay, that the cool. rock was formed around in the Big Bang. And that was the first life because it was buried oh, yeah, in the middle of the it earth. It was buried yeah. in the middle, wasn't so, it? There you go. That's my knowledge. And they were deep mining and then they found yes. it and they all kept. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's true, though. It might not be true, but it's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> so, what have I got? I have got. Millions and millions and millions and millions of years, mm-hmm. not yeah. just like an event. Yeah. Um, I've got primordial soup. And do you know what I'm basing this on? What? <laughs> yeah, there's a game, an app. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but your sister used to play it. And you have to put elements together to make things. And oh one of God, the very first things that you put together is like primordial soup. And then you can start to make life. <laughs> and then you haven't got life. You can start to make animals and birds and all the rest of it. Okay, yeah. And I'll eventually remember the name of the app. I can't remember good. the name of it. Yeah, that's But anyway, that's that where I'm basing my knowledge. I think my earliest knowledge is like the little weird lizard fish type looking thing that was apparently oh, our yeah. ancestor. Yeah, yeah. That's about all I've got. And just sort of like squirming out of water and therefore yeah. why we've all got similar and then you've got the whole tree thing. and Yeah, like, and then there's that whole evolution thing that happened apparently, you know. I'm, I'm... Well, depends. If if you've <laughs> if you got are. religious beliefs <laughs> of certain oh, type. That's why I shouldn't exist. have said I should have gone, God. <laughs> To cover all basis, God. <laughs> yes. And anyone who is listening to this, that is absolutely fine to believe. We're not going to shit on that. We're just talking mm, science. Yes. Belief <laughs> is good. Science is true. Yes. 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 Anyway, no moving we swiftly. Danger zone, swiftly danger zone. <laughs> on. Um, other things about life begins, I think, yeah. I mean, the first time Sarah said we're chatting about life begins, my immediate was... Oh, God, are we going to get into the whole, like, when does a baby become a baby? So I was like, oh, shit, it's going to get deep. And then Sarah looked at me and was like, no, more like, you know, uh, and I was like, oh. Well, actually, kind of, yes. We actually will get slightly into that. Excellent. Right. OK, well, I think we haven't got anything else to give, really. I don't think we gave anything anyway. I don't think there was much in there. I, I mean, I do regret to inform you that Doctor Who is wrong. Damn it! Oh, <laughs> Russell T. Davis, you lied to me. <laughs> I remember that episode. That's, I'm pretty sure that's the first one with Catherine Tate in it. And that like, is, and, yes. it, and, it's, and it's her wedding yeah. day, isn't it? Yeah, it was the Christmas special. <laughs> oh, that's made me so happy. Yeah, David, David, David Tennant in his prime. Oh. Um, yeah, Catherine Tate. Yep, yeah, I remember it well. Oh, excellent. Best. Yeah. Yeah. The obvious sort of retort to that is, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> Where'd the aliens come from then? 
it's not it doesn't actually answer the question that's the (laughs) i mean maybe there were some aliens involved but i I really kind of doubt it but even if there were that doesn't actually answer the question because it's just all you've done is you've pushed the question back right you just said well okay but and this is also the 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 only answer i ever give to people that say uh god god did it like Mm -hmm. god made life so I'm not going to like disagree with you about your like belief in a, a deity or deity. I think, you know, the the comparison I make in the book is imagine you're watching like um, a TV show that was going to explain to you how cars were made. Mm. And imagine that the TV show was like one minute long and the person just said, people built them. <laughs> that I would watch. That would be the best thing <laughs> You'd ever. You'd be kind of frustrated, wouldn't you? But like, yeah, but did they build the chassis first? Like, did, you know, did... I don't know what a chassis is. Why do I? Know? That wasn't <laughs> the question. It's the, that, it's that the, bo- came... it's the bottom bit. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the, when you sort of try to sort of really answer, really grapple with this question, you have to sort of take away any sort of like active person they, yeah there mm-hmm. can't there can't be anyone sort of taking you know sort of taking an interest in this or sort of driving the process along because that's immediately so, cheating. so we're not going to talk about the fact that we're all just a computer simulation and oh oh she actually no. <laughs> i don't i don't i don't believe that either <laughs> Right, I get, I get the, I sort of get, I get the argument, you know. Well, if, yeah, if we get really good with making computers, we'll be able to make simulations. And doesn't that mean that somebody else maybe already like made simulations? Well, maybe, but in that case, you're sort of like, how the hell would you know? Like, also, nobody wants to be stimulating life as boring as mine. Like, imagine they're like, yeah, she is going to get out of bed at eleven today, eat some leftover curry, have a shower, and then go back to bed for an hour. Nobody wants to watch that. Nobody cares. And I, I'm no. definitely, and definitely, the last eighteen months or so of the simulation have been rubbish. <laughs> really rubbish. Absolute cack. <laughs> okay, so so we haven't been created by some super geek. We haven't been created by some halo wearing deity. <laughs> no, if if he's if he's there, um, or or she, whatever you want to call it, that's fine. But I'm just sort of. I'm going to try and give explanations that don't involve that. And then you can sort of choose to imagine, if you like, that sort of God, um, you know, sort of created the universe in the beginning and then just set it all in motion. This is all just God's Mm. plan playing out. That's fine. I'm not going to argue. I don't believe that personally, but I'm not going to fight about it either. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Whatever. But we're going to go from that point where if anyone wants to think that, it then started on Earth. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned Sarah uh, primordial soup, and this is in yeah. fact this is the best place to start. This is because this was the hey! first. Uh, <laughs> Still trying to remember the name of the app though. No, Civ like brain. I can't, can't remember you. it. I, can't I can see it. I'm just going to drink. In the middle She's of this gonna, episode, oh, no, I'm just going to say it's going to be the even name. worse than that. It won't be in the middle be of the over episode. Dinner. It'll be yeah. We'll be in the middle <laughs> of dinner. We'll be talking about something completely different. And You'll I'll just, go. Oh. And nobody will care. No, nobody will care. At some point in this recording, you're going to shout a random word. Yep. Yep. Expect it. Cool. Okay. I'm looking forward to it now. Um, So the idea of primordial soup, it wasn't sort of originally called that. That name kind of just seems to have attached itself somehow. But it goes back to a Russian scientist uh, who was uh, in the 1920s. and His name was Alexander Oparin. Now, if you imagine that you've got a Russian scientist sort of active in the 1920s, so he had lived through the Russian Revolution and all of that excitingness where, like, you know, this, the Tsars were deposed and executed and, you know, Lenin came to power and then Stalin and, you know, the Gulag... Fun times, system. fun yeah, times. Know, you know, Brilliant you know, you know, the yeah, Gulag yeah. prison system where, you know, if you, if you did anything that Stalin didn't like, you got sent to the camps in Siberia and you probably didn't come back. So he had to sort of work within that rather toxic system um and that sort of you can sort of see some influences of that on the way that he was um thinking about it mm. um so apparent was a, a plant biologist uh, and he was sort of particularly interested and, and sort of had an interest in things like bacteria and sort of single cell mm. organisms and he was the first person to sort of write out an idea of how life might have emerged from just like just based on like chemicals and physics and like natural mm-hmm. laws uh, that a lot of other scientists took seriously. So there had been suggestions before, but like Apparens was the first like, okay, we're going to, we'll, we'll look at this properly. This, this seems like it might have something to it. Mm-hmm. And 
essentially he sort of imagined what the earth was like um a very long time ago when it formed so this was before we actually knew how old the earth was so he he was just kind of mm. slightly guessing at the age of it mm. um it would it would be another three decades before we actually nailed down the age you know we can now confidently say <laughs> four and a half billion years ago but he didn't know that mm. um so he imagined that you know the earth was this sort of um, hot ball of rock that had sort of newly formed as lots of smaller rocks came together and crashed together to form a sort of you know messy messy globe uh, and sort of you know so lots of hot rocks uh, sort of volcanoes everywhere um, and eventually as it sort of started to cool down a bit uh, you would get uh, the first rain so water could condense and you'd get an enormous absolute downpour chucks it down with rain and the oceans <laughs> form and at that point, what you've basically got is a sort of gigantic chemical factory because you've got mm. all sorts of like really, you know, in the you know in the universe at large, there are all these sort of known chemicals that are just sort of found basically everywhere. So things like you know carbon dioxide and you know and water and mm. like sulfate, like sulfur-based chemicals, very ordinary, simple um, things that are just. If you sort of think about it on a chemical level, where you you, you would only have like a two or three atoms joined together into a molecule, so mm. very you know, nothing nothing complicated at all, um, and you just have enormous amounts of this stuff all washing around on the earth and being erupted out of the volcanoes and swilling around in the oceans. It would all be quite hot. Um, so yeah, all sorts of different chemical reactions would go on, and you would get eventually more and more different kinds of chemicals and some slightly more complicated looking molecules, and eventually. It, this stuff would all accumulate in the sea. And so the sea would become sort of quite thick with all this stuff yeah. floating around in yeah. it. And so this is where the primordial sea... Doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I, was actually, I was actually going to compare it to like one, one of those really, really bad liqueurs, you know, the, yeah, the really oh, thick, yeah. goopy ones that you get that you buy on holiday and then sort of regret and never actually drink. Mm. One, of, one, of, one of those See, ones. I'm glad you went there because I went to doing a walking tour around London <laughs> and, be, and being told where the word brothel comes from. Oh, yeah. And I'm because good. it was the fact that everyone would have sex in the water and it became a broth of yeah. bodies and fluids. Yeah. And so that's where I was. I knew you were going to go somewhere like that. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you welcome. for lowering You're the welcome. tone this early. <laughs> Excellent. That is a new fact I have learned. <laughs> hey. And it will stay with you forever. <laughs> Primordial super in a different light. Yes. <laughs> so I am I am sorry because it's going to be actually quite hard to find very many ideas about the origins of life that don't at some point involve sticky goopy liquids. I don't know what Excellent. that says about the people who've thought about this. Let me just get my year 10 brain back and we are ready <laughs> to go. <laughs> there is going to be a lot of slime. I've also remembered the name of the app. Oh, go on, go because on. Because as you were talking about mixing those chemicals, I was remembering exactly what you did because you got a little board, as it were, and you just put these things on and you mix them together. It, well, it's called alchemy. <laughs> Excellent. That's well done. Cool. Well there done. Go. There we go. But the great thing is, is that you can put like chicken fire and make like a chicken burger. I, that isn't one of the ones. But I think it was like, yeah, cow fire burger. Mm, mm. Back to the soup. Anyway, maybe. back to yeah, the soup. Yeah. Back to the soup. <laughs> so eventually, a powering thought. Um, one of the things that's going to form is um, jelly-like stuff. So that would be, um, if you, it's sort of in chemical terms, this would be things that are called lipids, which are essentially these sort of long chains of carbon atoms, and there are all sorts of different kinds of lipids. But you, a lot of them are quite familiar to us. So um, cooking oil is any mm -hmm. kind of cooking oil that's a kind of lipid anything like fat like butter um that's mm -hmm. mostly lipids and of course and the fats so that we you know that we have in our bodies that's also a kind of lipid mm -hmm. and cholesterol mm -hmm. as well um so he thought that all sorts of th those sorts of chemicals would start to form and they would um come together and they would form little blobs like little sort of spherical droplets mm -hmm. uh, i just i like blobs blobs is good <laughs> um and these blobs would then sort of just take in other bits of other bits of chemistry from um, you know, other chemicals that were floating around in the water, and stuff would start happening inside them, and that then starts to look a little bit, very slightly, sort of out of the corner of your eye, like a living cell. <laughs> so all this is this is where we now sort of plunge into the bio, into some sort of real biology just for a second but so all living things are made of cells which are essentially again kind of bubble blobby mm. things 
but mu- they're much more complicated than these things that Aparin was talking about. So, you know, they'll have like genes in the center made of DNA and all sorts of other like mach- like machinery almost inside them. You can see, you know, if you sort of look at them under a really good microscope, you can see these things that are almost like chemical production lines mm-hmm. and like a, a kind of internal skeleton or sort of struts that sort of, me- yeah. that sort of hold the thing. In, or in a the department right store, as one of our oh, previous guests yeah. said. We're back in the department store, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But also I saw um, a picture that somebody had taken with one of those um, massive magnets. I saw you liked this on Twitter. And it looked amazing. It looked like a formal garden, I thought. Because, like, just all of the things that were going on in the And, I, and I, I remember being on Twitter and seeing you'd like that. And I thought, at some point, Sarah's going to talk about that in a podcast. So I'm pleased that you <laughs> There did. you go. Yeah. Tick. <laughs> Drink. <laughs> so, so what you saw in that photo was like a, was a modern cell that's the result of billions of years of evolution. So it's really complicated and it's a really fine-tuned machine. Mm-hmm. The things that Apparent was imagining were essentially a really, really crude, crappy version mm. of that. So mm. if, you, you know, if you imagine like the comparison and, you know, if you imagine like a Formula One race car at one end and then like not even a Model T Ford, one of the really, really cack-handed cars from the 19th century, the ones that was... One of, of the for- really old Larders or Skodas, the really, really old ones. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, Skodas nice. before they were good. Uh, yeah. yeah, one of those ones that would run for like 500 yards and then the engine would just pack up and you'd have to spend <laughs> half an hour like... I don't know, taking This the just oil sounds like my car, so I feel slightly <laughs> attacked. But anyway, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> that, as far as apparent was concerned, was kind of the beginning of life, was the formation of these sort of blobby things in the ocean. Um, and a particularly sort of crucial thing was that they would then start to have like chemical reactions going on inside them. So they would start to become a little bit independent of their environment. Mm. But they would still mm. have been, you know, still vastly simpler compared to anything that we would recognized as alive today so there would ha- then have to be a long process of gradual com- complexification before they would you know look anything like a, a real yeah. cell but that yeah. was his his notion of that would have yeah that was a sort of um what would you call it the primordial yeah the primordial living thing a really really simple version of it so yeah Aparin published his um publishes his idea uh in russian mm-hmm. uh Nobody cares at first. Um, But then about a decade later, he wrote a much longer book, which got translated into English, and then people sort of started to notice. Now, the irony is that actually the original 1920s pamphlet that he wrote is way better. I've read read both. The 1930s book is unbearable. It has all this... um, There's fully two pages on dialectical materialism, which is basically just sucking up to the Soviet state uh, and sort yeah, of like, uh, yeah, yeah sure. and sort of expressing like you know solidarity with like communist um philosophical principles and then it takes about a hundred pages to actually get to the point mm. um so yeah definitely read the 1920s one if you actually want to read it <laughs> ever want to read either of these things the 1920s one is quite readable you know it's only about 20 50 pages something like that it's quite it's quite snappy yeah yeah it's quite nice, snappy easy. um but yeah nothing very much then happens uh for a while and until the nineteen, the early nineteen fifties, and the coming together of these two American scientists called uh, Stanley Miller and Harold Urey. So Urey was uh, sort of quite was very much the elder of the two. So he had won a Nobel Prize several decades before, and he was sort of mm-hmm. you know coasting towards retirement. And you would sort of think that he would sort of go, oh, you know, I, I'm just I'm just going to sort of coast. But he decided to. Um, take another like big swing for the fences towards the end of his career. <laughs> end on a high. <laughs> yeah, very much end on a high. And uh, Miller was sort of fresh out of university, you know, sort of doing his um, you know graduate studies. Hey, hey, it's a bit like us. Yeah, fresh out of university, coasting towards <laughs> retirement. Uh, I saw my Thanks. opportunity and I yeah. took it. Yeah. Thank you. And, but I'm going to end on a high at some point. Okay, I'm Towards waiting. Towards that point. Yeah, okay, you can keep waiting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I'm just going to let this play. Uh, <laughs> so Miller basically thought, hey, he first of all tried do, he tried doing some, other, some completely unrelated things and then he decided, you know what, what I really quite fancy doing is to see if basically this apparent dude had a point. Um, could we sort of, yeah, if I was to sort of build like a little experiment that would sort of simulate the conditions on the early earth, would I, could I make anything that sort of resembled life? 
uh, and he had to kind of talk Yuri into this because Yuri did think, you know, this is a bit of a risk. But mm. yeah, he, he basically said, I think he said you can have like a year to try this. And if it doesn't work after that, you're going to have to find something else. So Miller goes to the university glassblower and he gets him to build this this apparatus. And the, the thing that's sort of really appealing about this is that it's incredibly simple. So... Uh, I don't know if I don't think they still do this, but it used to be, I believe, that Scientific American would used to put out like a single sheet um, sort of guide to how to do this, and it's basically <laughs> high high school level chemistry. Like you could you could do this in like a decent A level chemistry lab. It does it doesn't require anything complicated. Just sort of little guide of how to create your own life forms. Yeah, well, you're, you're going to be slightly disappointed by the result, oh. but that <laughs> is the general idea. Oh. I was getting a bit of a god complex. I thinking, you know, I could create, I could rule over them. I could, no. no, it's not. It's not, <laughs> not even going to be Frankenstein to. level, but it, but it is kind, of, but it is important. <laughs> <laughs> so what he had essentially was two glass vessels, and one of them has water in it, and that's meant to simulate uh, the ocean, and mm. the other one has a mixture of gases in it, and that's meant to simulate the air, and they're connected. Mm. And he um, heated the water to sort of simulate the effect of like volcanic activity because he assumed that the earth was pretty hot. And he also inserted an electrode into the, the gas bit and sort of would send little sparks into it. And that was to simulate lightning strikes, which he assumed there was quite a lot of. And he just set that up and pretty much left it to it um, yeah. for a few days and then came back and had a look. And the water had changed colour. So it had gone initially, I think, yellow and then brown as it went on. So clearly clearly some chemistry had happened. Mm. Uh, something something had happened in, <laughs> in this setup. So he sort of took, you know, he stopped it and did some analysis on the water to find out what was actually in there. And the really key, and the key thing that came out was that he found uh, that he had made glycine. Obviously, that doesn't get a round of applause, so we, so we, we will consider what yeah. glycine might be. Why the hell would you be excited by glycine? <laughs> glycine is the simplest amino acid. So it's a kind of, it's a carbon-based molecule. It's quite, it's quite right. a simple one. It has like, I think, uh, I forget how many atoms go into this molecule, but mm. it's not many. It's like seven mm -hmm. or ten, something like that. It's still, we're still sort of quite a simple thing. Mm -hmm. But amino acids are the building blocks of much larger molecules called yeah. proteins. And yeah. proteins are one of the, the most important things in mm -hmm. life. So, like, you know, a lot, quite a big fraction of your body is proteins. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, famous examples would be um, the hemoglobin that's mm -hmm. the, in, in our red blood cells that carries the oxygen around our body. That's a protein. Uh, there are like hundreds and hundreds of others and they're all you mm. know they're all completely essential to life you know if you take the proteins away you're you're very much dead like instantly yeah. <laughs> so what miller had done in uh, with with like i say this idiotically simple mm. experiment mm. that you know e even a really bad chemist like me could probably do with a bit of supervision and he'd managed to make the simplest one of these things like the the beginnings mm. of a pro <laughs> the beginnings of a protein <laughs> and so this was incredibly dramatic because you would I think people have always had the idea that there's a really sort of hard separation between living things and non-living things. Mm. And, you know, and I, I think, that, and there's a sort of intuitive truth to that, right? You, you, we all sort of know that like, there's something really profoundly different between like an, an elephant and a rock, right? You know, yeah. there's, there's definitely something profound, there's some sort of profound yeah. shift that's happened there. But what Miller was starting, was sort of showing was that, yeah, there's probably was that there's some kind of a middle ground. You know, it's not you, know, you could start to take you know very definitely non-living things and start to edge them in the direction of being mm -hmm. alive. Yeah. So it's quite a, yeah. So this was quite, you know it, this was written up in um, the New York Times. It was in Time magazine, mm -hmm. uh, and it made Miller kind of a, a scientific celebrity very very early oh. in his career. And he basically mm -hmm. spent the entire rest of his career trying to live up to this. Oh, poor him. That's that's Are actually you... why I haven't done anything big yet. I don't want to peek oh, too yeah. soon. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, in kind of the wake of the Miller experiment, and I at this point I actually have to tell a nice little story. So, yeah, normally the senior scientist says, um, "I want, you know, I want my name on this paper. I'm going to take some of the credit." Um, and Yuri said, "Absolutely not." And he's his name isn't Aww. on the paper. It's only it's only credited to Miller. That is so cool. We well done like him. him. Well done him. Because you you're I think you're being kind in saying that quite often they'll say they want to take some of the credit. I think it's all the credit, 
and the modern ones are so much better. This came out in uh, 1953, and what happened after that was that there was that it sort of led to this little cottage industry of people doing what they came to call prebiotic chemistry. So essentially, variants on Miller's experiment where they would try to make something else, some other key <laughs> chemical of life. So they would try and make like the building blocks of DNA for example, or yeah. uh, they would try to make lipids. Because, um, li- uh, you know, we mentioned that lipids are important. The thing that they're really crucial for is that they're the, the, the outer walls or the outer membranes of cells. So you really need yeah. you really need some lipids. Or they would make sugars and yeah, and so yeah. forth. And there was this whole sort of like little, little research field, that really not very many people, but they were just basically trying to make the chemicals of life. Mm. And that sort of immediate, that sentence kind of tells you the problem with what they were doing, which is that they were making the chemicals of life they yeah. weren't making anything that there we wasn't, would call life it wasn't actually life that they could <laughs> rule over yeah they, essentially what they were doing was making building blocks they were making individual lego bricks but they weren't actually making the jcb and they weren't even they weren't even anywhere near making the jcb <laughs> so i said that the miller experiment came out in 1953 the other thing that came out in 1953 Um, which actually got slightly less press attention at the time, although I think it's arguably a bigger deal, Mm. uh, was the structure of DNA. So the the famous double helix structure of DNA where you have these two sort of strands that are like Mm. twisted around each other like two spiral staircases that have like had sex or something. Used in every crime show I watch ever when Mm -hmm. they sit there and they look at it and they go, hmm, this DNA is very interesting. And you're there going, I'm sure it is. Who did it? And it's fascinating that DNA has become like so central to it. Like our thing, you know, everyone kind of knows that like genes are made of DNA, and DNA is part of what makes us who we are. What everyone seems to forget is that that came as a massive fucking surprise yeah. to most scientists. They had no like, until the nineteen forties. Um, DNA was like this kind of neglected thing. They thought it was like just a stupid, repetitive little molecule. They weren't very interested in it. The general belief was that genes were going to be made of proteins because proteins were way more complicated in terms yeah, of like the, yeah. the, the, the the kinds of like little molecules that went into making them. I love the idea that they're probably also there just coming up with DNA going, oh, it's fucking that again. Shove it away. It's like, oh, it's that annoying little thing that yeah. keeps popping up. It's like ruining all of my experiments. Mm-hmm. Go away. That's not actually that much of an exaggeration. <laughs> like, it, it wasn't... <laughs> It wasn't this sort of totemic thing that it was that it is today. It was only yeah, in the 1940s yeah. that, yeah, you know, fully like 50 odd years after it had been like discovered, mm. that people started mm. that experiments were done that sort of that started to convince people. Oh, actually, maybe that maybe it is the DNA. Maybe that is mm. what genes are made of. But it, yeah, it came as a massive surprise. And what when the the structure of DNA was revealed. What that did was that it unleashed what we now think of as like the molecular biology revolution. So this mm. enormous wave of discoveries of what's going on inside cells at the molecular level. So what does what is DNA doing? You know, how does it actually work? You know, what, you know, how are you know what are genes? How are genes coded? What you know, what is the language of genes? Um, and you know, eventually, and that led to things like you know the the human genome project, where you know the entire mm-hmm. DNA of human beings was read over the course of the nineteen nineties. And the the findings from all of you know all that, that the molecular biology revolution the really key sort of baseline here's here's the sort of take home messages life is really incredibly complicated like really <laughs> batshit complicated. I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah. I may not be a yeah. scientist, but yes, yes, yeah. I, I agree. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. You, the ideas that Aparin was talking about of, you know, these sort of like just simple blobs of jelly with mm. like some chemi- chemical reactions vaguely going on inside mm. them mm. started to seem really incredibly naive mm. because, you know, what even the simplest uh, bacteria that we know of today have over 100 genes in them. That's a lot mm. of complexity. And, it, you know, humans have, well, it depends how you count the genes, but at least 19,000, mm. arguably quite a lot more we won't mm, get into it because mm, it, there's mm. this whole argument about what counts as a gene and we won't even we won't go there um <laughs> but yeah life is furiously complicated you, know, so you have hundreds of genes you have they then what the genes do is that they are basically the instruction manuals for making proteins and the proteins can be like dozens or hundreds of amino acids long and they have these incredibly complicated three-dimensional pretzel structures and then there's all the outer membrane and there's all those chemical factories inside the cell that we were talking about earlier. Mm. And the whole thing is, 
you know, it makes um, even quite a complicated car look really kind of crude and simple in comparison. Mm-hmm. It's so, and it's all operating incredibly fast, mm. and you just go, "How the bloody hell could you possibly t- start something as complicated as that from scratch?" So yeah, all those all those ideas that were being talked about before, yeah, the primordial soup just started to seem really, really kind of naive and crude. And so where like the scientists in this field had kind of been roughly unified, there was this sort of general consensus, oh yeah, the primordial soup is kind of roughly the right idea. We'll fiddle we'll figure mm. out the details, but it's roughly right. It's fine. Mm. Uh, in the course of, over the course of like the nineteen sixties and seventies, there was basically this gigantic explosion of um different competing ideas and mm. everyone kind of went off down their own flipping track and mm. Mm. The, what had been this sort of quite unified kind of friendly field became really, really argumentative mm. and like there was this sort of you know these bitter rows played out and you could <laughs> you could see them played out in like the scientific journals because generally you know scientific language is really kind of formal and um mm. Mm. like like re- repressed to a degree that the Victorians mm-hmm. would would admire, but you could, yeah. see, but you would see, you know, people replying to it. Yeah, they would, you know, someone would publish some some idea or an experiment, and someone would r- write a reply to that saying, "We wish to question some of the fundamental assumptions in this highly creative." <laughs> And it's and it's all this code that essentially means screw you. That is yeah. bollocks, yeah. utter yeah. bollocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and this. Well, basically, this has actually gone on until the present day. Yeah, <laughs> it's the short version. It's the short version of this story. It's been fifty years of like just unmitigated arguments and counter arguments, and mm-hmm. I haven't, I never found any reports of like an actual punch up at a co- at a scientific conference. But certainly, an awful lot <laughs> of like not yet, not no yet. reports of. No. But definitely an awful lot of crossed words over over booze late yeah. at night in the hotel bars. Uh, yeah. <laughs> after, after the plenary sessions, so yeah, the origin of life be- has be- become this very, very argumentative field, and there are a lot of people who have like very set ideas and are basically convinced that the other people are either like stupid or deluded or just plain lunatic. So coming back to the actual ideas that have been put forward, there are, there are so many that it's not possible to sort of like catalog them all or at least uh, at least we'd be we'd be here for a very long time and you'd be very bored <laughs> quite a few gins down many gins down be one of those we're sat in the corner dribbling gins all around mm. us and you're still going and another one <laughs> i did yeah. like five chapters in the middle of the book on this and that was very much like a condensed i am kind of simplifying this and cutting out a lot of the sort of cutting out a lot of the detail um but there is a sort of key like there is a sort of underlying assumption that ran through all of these ideas mm-hmm. which is and it's essentially this okay so if life is so incredibly complicated um there's no way that that then all those sort of different bits that we were talking about kind of formed all together at once that's ridiculous Mm. Um, so what we what we what we need is we need to be able to make just one of them, one bit of life, one component, and get that working properly, and then the rest of it can sort of accumulate around it later. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's a little bit like making a car by making the tires first, and then kind of hoping that <laughs> that an engine will form. Mm. Um, and the thing is that this this assumption it was so like ingrained that it, it's basically never stated. You won't find a, like a, a paper from like the, the 70s or 80s that actually says that explicitly. It just, it was implicit. And so it just mm. kind of wasn't questioned really. Mm. It, the, the idea was we need, we need something simple. And there were all kinds of different versions of this. I think that probably the easiest one to understand um, is uh, a hypothesis that's come to be called the RNA world so we've talked about dna which is the, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the molecule that genes are carried on rna is basically a cousin of dna it's almost it's not quite exactly the same but it's really very similar and it works in a mm. lot of the same ways um so you can you know it can you know rna can carry genes just mm. pretty much the same way that dna can in fact some viruses have their genomes entirely made of rna so that you know the virus, right? The one that we're all enjoying so much at the moment. That's an RNA. That fun virus. one, yeah. Yeah, mm. may have heard of it. If you say its name three times, it'll manifest. So let's not do yeah, that. Yeah, we're uh, not doing that. But that one is an RNA virus. So its gene, its genome is made of of RNA. Mm. And the thing about RNA is that um, 
unlike DNA, it can do a little bit more with itself. So yeah, DNA is basically only good for storing genes on. It doesn't do anything else. Mm-hmm. But RNA can also sort of fold itself up into sort of complicated pretzel shapes, a lot like a protein. And that mm. gave people the idea, well, the th- one of the things that proteins can do, one of the things that's really crucial, is that they can um, control chemical reactions. They can make them go faster. So there mm-hmm. are, there's a whole category of proteins called enzymes whose job is to do that is to sort of take some react chemical reaction that the body wants to happen and it make it go much much faster mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. your entire your digestive system is basically relies on enzymes so mm-hmm. in, in your mouth you have an enzyme called amylase that oh god i'm going to get this wrong uh what amylase breaks down something in your food i think it breaks down starch um all those good carbs well i i know enzymes from cooking as well. Yeah. So like you yeah. use uh, the reason why your mouth fizzes after eating ki- too many kiwi fruits is the enzymes, oh, isn't it? Breaking yeah, down. Yeah. It's like eating you. It Same with pineapple. Yeah, yeah. But you can use them for tenderizing meat. See, you've said all that. And because I was thinking it's about carbs and I'm now well, thinking I'm about really the fact hungry. that there's pasta in the fridge, like fresh pasta <laughs> that needs eating. Yeah. So I've just gone yeah, on yeah. a whole, I need to get my brain in gear. Yeah. yeah. so yeah all like proteins are sort of all enzymes were thought to be made of proteins and then in the 1980s uh it was discovered that actually rna can be can make enzymes too there are some rna molecules that will fold themselves up into just the right shape and they can drive chemical reactions too and Mm. people thought aha that's really and that's really fascinating then because that sort of led them to think well what happened what would happen then if you you know if you go back billions of years again to the the the, the earlier and the, if you if you could make an if an RNA molecule could form, it could start to um, drive other useful mm. chemical reactions. It could start to behave a little bit like a living thing. Maybe it could even if it was a re, if it was re, if it was just the right kind of RNA molecule. Maybe it could even copy itself, make it you know mm-hmm. make start making another RNA, and that starts to look really like a living thing. So this idea was sort of eventually. Um, sort of set out and named as the RNA world in 1986. See, that's really new. That is new. <laughs> We're like 50 odd years on from Aparin and his primordial soup. You know, we've, you know, yeah. a, a lot, yeah, yeah. Has, a lot of, you know, all that, that whole molecular biology revolution has happened. And so there's a huge amount of additional knowledge. You know, the people who discovered that RNA could be enzymes, they weren't thinking about the origin of life at all. They were just no. studying RNA and trying to figure out how yeah. it works. Yeah. And then they, it was only after they discovered it, they sort of realised, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> that actually kind of has this, this sort of deeper implication. And so people have spent, you know, many decades since trying to get RNA to do all kinds of things. Mm. And, it, and it does turn out to be quite an amazingly um, capable molecule in some respects. You know, it, it can do a lot. Um, but that idea of, like, that you could make an RNA that wouldn't be able to make a copy of itself... That has That's proved really, cool. really difficult. Mm. Uh, so people have done these amazing experiments where they basically evolve an RNA in the lab. So they get they get some RNAs and they say which one has like the most ability to like make a new RNA. Mm. And they go, okay, we'll take those ones and then we'll let we'll just sort of mutate them a bit, we'll vary them a bit, and then we'll see which of the which of the new generation is best. Mm. And then we'll keep doing that over mm. and over again for what's essentially like millions of generations. And people have been doing that since the 1990s, and the best that they've come up with is an RNA <laughs> molecule that can make a new RNA that's slightly less than half as long. Oh, oh, oh! Don't dear. give up! Don't give up! <laughs> Just keep swimming! Just keep swimming! Something else will happen. You do slightly feel like Jon Snow, like you know, meet, meeting the Night King, just going. This is going to be a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And probably the ending is going to be disappointing. But uh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I personally, and I think a lot of people are, are kind of, I'm kind of a little bit wary and slightly weary of the idea that life began with just <laughs> RNA. There yeah. was a there was a wonderful review of the whole RNA world hypothesis a few years ago, which was described as um, the RNA world. Um, the worst hypothesis of the origin of life, except for oh. all the others. <laughs> Which I just thought was great. Yeah. Um, now, having said that, go back to the start and that there's that just that discovery that RNA can be can form enzymes. Mm. That sort of tell that does tell you something. 
I think. Right. So the idea that life began with just RNA, I think, doesn't fly. Yeah. But yeah. But I think the, the but the idea that life began with RNA uh, you know, as part of what was going on, mm. I think, sound starts to seem really quite sensible because it does do all this stuff. Um, so you think, yeah, it's kind of hard to ignore that. And I think, that, and that is sort of, is kind of the the story that I think is true of most of the ideas that have been put forward. So the others mm. are sort of wildly disparate and like it would take, well, it takes an entire book to sort of go through yeah. what they all, <laughs> yeah. what they are and what they, and how they work. But they, they all start to me to, rem- they all remind me of um, the parable of the blind man touching the elephant and yeah, you know, and one yeah, you know, one of them touches the tail. And you think, oh, elephants are, are like snakes, and the other one touches the ears, mm. and you, you, you know the idea. And I think that most of our ideas about the origin of life are kind of like that. They're all just sort of like we're sort of seeing the truth out of the corner of the eye, or getting, or sort of glancing off it, or getting a little bit of it. Yeah. And there are some there's some amazing experiments from like the last twenty years that. Sort of, that re- you know, I was saying earlier that yeah, we were talking about sort of blurring the boundary between life and mm. non-life. These really blur. Mm. So I mentioned the, uh, the name Jack Shostak earlier. Mm. So he is um, at the sort of Harvard Medical School, uh, and since two thousand and three, he's done this sort of absolutely mind-blowing set of experiments that are basically my favourite thing in this sort of in this kind of area. Um. So Shostak sort of as tried to make very crude versions of living cells so so mm-hmm. yeah we said about something similar with a parin back in the 1920s of like sort of essentially blobs of um fats with some chemicals going on and but he was a little bit vague about it mm-hmm. understandably yeah understandably because you know they didn't nobody knew that dna was the genetic uh, material yeah. so you know yeah. fair enough he was a bit vague mm-hmm. about it um shostak doesn't have any reason to be vague about it he knows damn well what the genetic materials are um so what he makes are things called vesicle so these are essentially like bubbles so there's an outer wall that's made of lipids mm-hmm. and then water then like water in the middle mm. um so these are like a very 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 crude version of a cell but the thing is that they can do like these amazingly lifelike things so the first thing is that they can host rna inside them so that's mm. quite nice that's quite nice mm. so you've immediately got like two of the sort of aspects of life you've not you've got the all neatly packaged together all packaged all packaged so it won't fall apart um and they can grow they can you know they they will take in lipids and more rna from outside and they'll get get, they'll get bigger and then and this is this is really my favorite bit uh they can divide so they can essentially reproduce and make Mm. lots and lots of like baby um (laughs) baby cells so the way that they do it is kind of unlike anything that like any sort of anything that's alive today, as they sort of get bigger, they um, elongate into these sort of long, tubey, mm. wormy shapes, mm. and then they mm. just shatter. And mm. what you get is lots of the original spherical blobs, but they each have a bit of RNA inside them. They don't lose. The, that's the crucial bit. They don't lose the stuff that mm. was stored inside. They keep it. So mm. they're starting to reproduce, and they can compete against each other. You know, you'll find that they <laughs> they sort of, one of them will like hoover up some of the yeah you know, the, the lipids and whatnot from the surroundings and and it will get bigger and it will outcompete the others mm, cool um and in the last sort of 10 years he's actually managed to get the rna to, he's he's found ways to start copying the rna mm-hmm. inside them so, so replicating mm-hmm. it which is you know the thing that i was talking about earlier was being incredibly difficult to do yeah yeah um but it does seem to work if you do it inside in it yeah, yeah. These yeah. cells, it, it does need a little bit of help. You have to give it citric acid. Okay. A little bit of feeding yeah. every now and again. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the citric acid just sort of stabilizes it and stops it yeah. from like f- and stops it from exploding in the process. But yeah, <laughs> the thing that sort of really surprises me and still kind of blows my mind about Shostak cells is that they're really simple. Yeah, he mm. ha- yeah. There's like a half dozen kinds of chemicals in there. Yeah, so you know, I said before that living cells have like hundreds of genes and all these sort of man- manifest proteins. You know, thousands and thousands of stuff. These things are really chemically simple in comparison, mm. but they behave in a very lifelike way. You know, they grow, they divide, they compete, mm. um, and they have like genes and and they have genes inside them. Yeah. So that sort of that to me sort of kind of confirms what people like Miller and Apparin were saying earlier on that, you know, the 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 dividing line between life and non-life is actually quite 
porous mm. and kind of mm. fuzzy. And and this is what yeah, I think at some point you said, you know, are we going to talk about when a baby becomes a baby and like what you know what constitutes like this is where we get to that point because yeah. at, what, yeah. at what point do you want to say this thing is a like, baby of something? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, I don't, I think I don't want to say that Shostak's sort of proto cell mm. things are alive, but mm. they're not not alive in the way that like a rock is definitely not alive. They're, they're yeah. more alive. They're sort of on the path to being it. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, a rock doesn't tend to divide and create. Duplicate and compete no. with other no. rocks. No. Yeah. Exactly. No. And there's a and there's a lot Unless of Unless it does that... it when we're not looking. But yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> well, I don't know what but... I don't know what the gravel in your garden does, but I'm sure mine isn't doing that. So like, but there are quite a lot of things that kind of blur this boundary. Yeah. But does his also have the potential to become more than what it is now and therefore get to a point where you would call it life? Because I'm now imagining these things dividing and competing and growing and and becoming. I don't know why, but I've I got I've got nice little Doctor Who kind of image I, I, of yeah. of little yeah. cute animal. Um, are you thinking? Are you thinking of like the adipose, like the little fat? That's where I was going. That's kind adipose of adipose. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So then, seeing as we are in the Doctor Donna well, era, yeah. So then you could call it life because it's then on a journey to a thing. I certainly, I wouldn't be too surprised if um, within like another few decades, you know, it was possible, to, you know, people managed to take the, the kinds of things that Jack Shostak has made and made them and make them a bit more complicated. And we would get, and we would get to the point where we would sort of definitively say, yeah, that, that's, that's alive. Mm. That's alive. Mm. Um, it, yeah, it does get sort of genuinely difficult as to sort of exactly where you would draw that that line yeah. like how independent do they have to be i think is the is yeah. the particular because we tend to think of a living organism as being sort of complete unto itself but then we could also go all the way back to the beginning of this conversation and go well there's the person that then put all those things together and created yeah. and we're just in a loop we're we might be the, the final version of that adipose that he's creating there <laughs> And I think the other thing that the other thing to sort of remember is that you know whatever we manage to do in a lab, even if we do manage to you know do that hypothetical experiment of like put chemicals in one end, wait a bit, living thing yeah. pops out the other, yeah. that doesn't prove that that's how it happened, right? It could well mm. be that there are lots of different ways that this could have happened. And we, yeah, you know, we, you know, in the and in the sad absence of a DeLorean time machine, we can't go back four billion years or whatever it was and find out <laughs> exactly what happened so we yeah we're always sort of reconstructing this after the event mm, yeah. mm. Um, but i think if we find something that sort of works repeatedly in the lab then that sort of makes mm. you think well okay yeah that's that seems like it's likely and the things that we keep trying over and over again you know for millions of generations of mm. evolution and then mm. the, and then that don't work i think you're sort of okay to go well okay because if we can't make it happen in like really controlled situations where mm. we're pushing it to happen Mm -hmm. that sort of makes you think that it's probably not going to happen yeah, yeah. <laughs> whereas something yeah. that we can, where anything that we can sort of get to happen if we in a kind of miller kind of way of just like let's just set this up and run it and just let it go yeah sort itself out things like things like that that sort of sort themselves out are the things mm -hmm. that are sort of that i think are plausible and the things that you have to sort of really sort of tightly control <laughs> are completely you just have to sort of go uh i don't think so because mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. how would you guarantee that, that that's going to sort of just randomly take place on a planet mm -hmm. with, you know, with, with, without someone there with a with a pipette and a test tube and a, and a bunsen mm -hmm. burner or whatever to make it work Whenever I sort of, t whenever I used to tell people, oh, you know, I'm writing a book about the origin of life, this was the first question that they always asked me. Oh, is it one we should have asked? <laughs> oh, no, no, because it's re no, because it's dumb. <laughs> You're not dumb. Yay. So, and, and, and you've successfully avoided it. Uh, which, so the, the 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 really common question is, but but didn't life like come to Earth from space? Didn't it like float in from so didn't it like float in from somewhere else on a meteorite and just mm -hmm. fall to Earth? And that's where life came from. And I absolutely bloody hate this idea for about fifty different reasons. Um, so it's there is actually a name for it. It's called panspermia. Mm. 
Uh, see, I, oh. I told you we would never get away from mm. thick, gloopy liquids. It's not a nice name. It's no. not, is it? No. It's not. No. The idea is that, you know, um, life originated somewhere in the universe you know, at some point early in the history, and then it's just been sort of, and it's just spread from whatever mm. that source was, and it's just drifted through space, and it's landed on all the different planets, and that's why there's there's life on Earth. And I hate this for a number of reasons, <laughs> one of which is that um, it's cheating. Um, it's essentially just all that stuff that we've just been talking about about like what actually is a living cell how do the chemicals work how do you make the chemicals all how does how do you make them get together and like you know self-organize into something that's alive panspermia basically ignores all of that and just sort of goes well we're just going to say it happened somewhere else it's a Mm -hmm. giant fuck you to science yeah yeah (laughs) and we don't care how it happened it just happened it just just arrived here it's one of those it, it it sort of had a little bit of um, respectability like decades ago when people mm. thought that the origin of life might have been incredibly unlikely, like a sort of, mm. you know, mm-hmm. astronomically unlikely to happen, mm-hmm. in which case you just have to sort of invoke the size of the universe to sort of explain mm-hmm. why it happened at all and then, like, it drifts. But I ho- hopefully I've sort of convinced you a bit that actually it's <laughs> maybe not that unlikely, if you at least if you have the right kind of place and the right kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And even if it did then all of that kind of stuff would have created somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was just taking a, a sip of <laughs> sip of gin there. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you sort of have the problem of how it could have possibly got here. Now, now, mm. now things do drift through space. You know, we've you know we've talked about meteorites that sort of land on on Earth, and some of the, and, you know, and we do occasionally we do it seems get like rocks and comets that come into the solar system from outside. So that bit sort of not completely ridiculous, yeah. but. The thing is, how long would anything alive last yeah. in space? Yeah. And also, if there is all this stuff raining down on us, why haven't we noticed it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. people, yeah. You know, so the Apollo astronauts went to the moon in the 1960s and 1970s, and they took samples of moon rocks and they brought them back mm-hmm. to Earth, and they're in like clean labs in NASA, mm-hmm. and people have looked at these rocks. And the thing that's really noticeable immediately is that they're completely sterile. There's not mm. that there's not only is there nothing alive in there, there's also no remains of anything alive. There's no mm-hmm. like yeah. dead bacteria or anything yeah. like that. There's nothing. It's rock. Mm-hmm. So and there, if panspermia was true, there should be some stuff. There should be mm. some stuff should have mm. landed on the moon and we should be able to notice it. And it's not there. Um, so there, there was actually an idea put forward in the 70s called directed panspermia, which was that aliens were doing the panspermia and they were sort of sending spaceships everywhere to like and can you see how my, my patience is fraying? Love it. <laughs> yeah. With, yeah. All of it, with all of this. Um, and you can find some absolutely wacky and wonderful ideas about this. So there's one researcher who has argued that octopuses are actually aliens. So octopus eggs fell to Earth from space, and that's why octopuses are like a bit odd. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Just consider my no. brain officially gone for today now. That's going to be in my dreams. D- alien octopus. Excellent. Brilliant. Going to mess with my brain for the rest of time. But I think, so I think we can kind of go, no. Yeah. That didn't happen. We still don't completely know how life began, but we've kind of gone a long way from just these little blobs. Mm-hmm. Um, to a point of being able to kind of understand some of the things that would need to be there in order for life to begin. Mm-hmm. And we've been able to kind of create You know, you're ruining something. the whole what have we learned section Sorry. that we do at the end now. You're doing that right now. Sorry. She's ruining the format. Look at this. <laughs> Too many gins down. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, yeah, basically, I think like we definitely do not have like the, the f- full answer. I would not be, and I should, and I should put in the caveat of like, God knows what would happen if we did this interview again in thirty years' time, right? It wow. may Let's book that. it in now. If we book it in now, we could, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we kind of have the shape of an answer, but it, it's it's sort of an it's sort of an outline. It hasn't been coloured in properly, and mm-hmm. it might it might be that we have to redraw some of it as like more stuff comes to light but i think we i think we have a much clearer picture than we did like maybe 50 years ago i think that idea mm. of like you just get one bit of life and that's sort of enough to kickstart it i think i feel pretty confident in saying that that idea is wrong because mm. it just doesn't 
the bits by themselves just don't seem to do much. It's mm-hmm. it's about the ways that they kind of interact with each other and cooperate. Yeah. You know, life, life, on a really deep chemical level, life is about cooperation and it's about interaction. It's not about this just one little spark mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. does its thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and if that, I think I that I feel confident about saying that probably won't turn out to be wrong. Hopefully, <laughs> maybe. Thirty years, we'll see. But we agree with you absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's been brilliant. Thank you so Thank so much you. for taking us through how life begins. Yeah, and all the gloopiness that has oh, gone on. I'm going to have gloop and alien octopuses in my head all night long. Um, and thank you for introducing us mm. to Seaside Gin because Lovely. I'm really enjoying it. I'm on to my second. I noticed. I've been steady with mine well, for the reason that it is 57%. Yeah, you yeah. started with the Navy. So I've been steady so. and nice and slow. Yeah. How's the strawberry one going down? It's it's going very nicely. Thankfully, it's only 40%. Um, <laughs> so it's not quite it's not quite as lethal as um as 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 the uh as as the Navy strand. But uh, <laughs> I'm I'm still feeling quite comfortable from it. <laughs> good, good. And thank you so, so much. Oh, it's been a riot. It's been oh, really good you. fun. Thank you for having me on. I think I need to lie down for a minute. I'm on the edge of an existential breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> so, what have we learned? Where does life begin? In soup. In a warm puddle near a volcano, <laughs> bit of a spa going oh, on. Geez. And certain specific things, mm-hmm. RNA, DNA, proteins, oil, oils, lipids, lipids lots of gloopy things, things. Gloopy things in a warm puddle. And we don't really know exactly where it went from there. No, but that a lot of changes, have, not a lot of changes, a lot of knowledge has been yep. gleaned over years and years. So 50 years ago, yep. amazing Russian blokey who I can't remember his name, <laughs> went, I think there's a globule thing, yep. and everyone went, nah, no. and then went, yeah. And that sort of carried on to the With point... With people letting the people who did the work putting their names on <gasps> things. Yeah, we like that. We love to see it. Um, and that's just carried on. There's still so much research being done. And now we've got somebody who I can't remember his name of, of this is beauty of podcast. You can listen back <laughs> on it. I can write it down later, but now can't remember. Can't remember. Um, but he's actually creating something that kind of divides and competes and kind of acts like life. And who knows, 30 years time, it could all be different. And they could be taking over the world with me at the helm. Anyway, I'm going to make some pasta because talking about enzymes has got me on carbs. I know, I'm really hungry and I want pretzels. I can't give me pretzels. Anyway. Anyway, we learnt a lot. See you next week. See ya. you enjoyed that little episode you got to the end so hopefully you did (laughs) that's very true (laughs) well done if you'd like more content from us you can follow us on instagram you can and you'll also find our chief gin taster the gin monkey with tasting notes of all the gins that we're tasting in the series go on to instagram so it's worth following yeah yeah topic gin topic gin same on twitter same on Twitter. Send us a little tweet. Yeah, we're on Facebook too. Topic Gin, keeping it all nice and simple. And you can email us. You can, if you want, at hello at ginandtopic.com. If you click subscribe as well, that would be really handy. Reviews, host tell of people. Stuff for you to do. And we'll be back next week with another episode. I know. And another guest. Know. And another gin. Yay. <laughs> And don't forget to join me and Emma in our new tasting room on Sunday and she can tell us all about the gin.